great Odin's raven. This is crazy. This is crazy. This is crazy. This is, uh, this is ridiculous. Okay, I'll go. I'll go. I'll go. I'll go. I'll go. With, I'll go. Hello and welcome to the FilmPulse.net podcast, episode number 44. My name is Adam. Today I'm joined, as always, by Kevin. How are you, Kevin? Doing all right. Doing all right? Okay, I'm, do- I'm doing okay, too. Uh, this is going to be a shorter episode because I'm actually in Pennsylvania on vacation, so we're going to try to keep things moving along pretty quickly today. Uh, this week we're going to be talking about the Independent Spirit Awards and kind of our predictions and maybe who we're voting for, because this year Kevin and I get to vote for the Independent Spirit Awards. Indeed. We'll be going over our weekly movie predictions, and finally we'll be going over this week's DVD and Blu-ray releases. First, let's kick things off, as always, with some of what we've been watching. Kevin, we'll start with you this week. What have you been watching? Oh, I watched The Panic in Needle Park, which movie from uh, 71. It takes place in New York City at Needle Park, which is essentially just a square where junkies hang out. Ooh. This is an f- extremely early uh, Pacino role. Pacino plays a uh, hustler slash drug dealer slash junkie. And it's him and Kitty Wynn who plays like his girlfriend. And it's sort of their life. And this, you know how depressing um, Requiem for a Dream is? Yes. This is more depressing. Ugh. (laughs) Because it's so realistic. Uh. It's just, uh, it was just. It was crushing at points. Just made me feel terrible. But it was a really good movie. Again, 70s films, American 70s films, they're so damn good. And I definitely yeah. got to check out more of this director, uh, Jerry Schatzberg, because this was really good. And he did another movie I really want to see, which is called Scarecrow, which is Pacino and Gene Hackman. Mm. Like road trip movie. So I'm trying to find that. But yeah, this is extremely realistic uh, drug addiction movie, and it's rough. But two amazing performances, Pacino, as always, and Kitty Wynn, just unbelievable. So I definitely recommend that, unless you can't stomach that kind of stuff, then steer well clear of it. I think I can handle it. I think you'll thoroughly enjoy it. Because it's it's seventies America, New York City. Kidding me, Pacino? <laughs> hey, Taxi Driver is one of my all time favorites. So yeah, there's just an amazing time in cinema for America, killing it in the seventies. And then I followed it up with the ridiculously insane, but at the same time unbelievably awesome, The Imposter. Now, I've seen this too, and I I absolutely love this. Probably going to be one of my top ten of the year. Yeah, uh, so I'm curious to see what you what you think. Easily, I give it a ten out of ten. Yeah, this is just amazing. Such so well made too. I just yeah, loved that, everything that they did. That was the thing that I really liked. Is that I mean, this is this is documentary filmmaking. I mean, it's just. It's so close to perfect. I mean, there is not a flaw in this movie. No, and um, the guy that's the imposter is just one of the most intriguing people. Yeah, I've seen 
that guy was just oh my goodness i would love I mean, to you have to dinner. you have to see this to believe it this guy is just insane and it, it goes a lot of places that i did not expect i mean they don't shy away from telling you what this movie's about i mean even the title kind of tells you what this movie's about but at the same time by the end or near the end in like the final act you're it, it kind of takes a little bit of a turn and you're just like whoa like i didn't think that they were gonna go there with that yeah it just <laughs> it blows my mind that number one like as soon as you see the guy you're like well, why the hell would you think that's your son yeah, yeah. What, the, what the hell is wrong with you and then the other thing was is you know when they show him and this might be this is definitely a spoiler but when he's in jail like he has a phone in a cell and he keeps calling people yeah calling other people yeah. and saying that you know i'm your missing son or i have information about this missing person it's like why do you let him have a phone yeah that was weird i, I didn't understand that why, why in the world does he have a phone in his cell I have a there. There's one little thing I want to discuss with you, but we're gonna do it off the air because I don't want to give anything away. But remind me, and we'll okay. come back to it. We'll come back to it. All right. And then I watched uh, Simon of the Desert, which is a Louis Bunuel movie. Uh, very short movie. It's only 45 minutes long. It's essentially incomplete because they ran out of money and couldn't film a lot of the other scenes. But it's a very surrealist. Uh, it's a movie about Simon, who's extremely religious, and he's out in the desert, and he's he's on a column. He stands on top of a column to be closer to God. And then a rich guy comes, and they give him a taller column. So he gets down, and he goes over to the taller one, and he keeps being tempted by the devil. But it's really, it's like a comedy, because Louis Bunel is a very, um, you may or may not know this, is he's a big-time extreme atheist. He's actually famous for on his deathbed saying, thank God I'm an atheist. Hmm. So it's a little bit of, you know, jabs here and there at religion and stuff. It's a decent movie. It wasn't amazing or anything, but it was pretty good. I'd give it like a six, maybe. Not one of his best, but it was enjoyable enough of a watch. And Amore. I watched Amore. Which we'll I know go back you, to that because I saw that too. Yes, and then I just got finished actually watching Doteca Pentathlon, the oh, yeah? du, the Duplass Brothers movie. What did you it, think of that? It was enjoyable. I found out that du, the Duplass Brothers, for me, or really any movie that Mark Duplass is in, has the same effect that Woody Allen movies have, where I don't love all of them. Or even necessarily think that they're great movies i just enjoy myself while i'm watching them right and and i would definitely say that about the dodeca pentathlon i mean it's a little film there's not much to it but at the same time it just has this uh good heart in it that yeah. makes it really an enjoyable film to watch yeah they do i have to say that those two are really good at finding like a really nice balance with everything yeah, because it, it's in a all lot of comedies. It's either all comedy and no like nothing sentimental, or it's a comedy at the beginning and then it gets serious and then there's no comedy. Yeah, 
they're they're able to balance it and i think a great example is jeff who lives at home it's a hilarious movie but at the same time it's very touching yeah so i enjoyed myself during that one and i also watched a movie from the 40s called carnival of sinners um essentially the guy buys the talisman from this chef who has to sell it you have to sell it at a loss and you got to sell it before you die or your soul is forever banished to hell so he sells it to a painter and of course it gives him everything wealth fame wife all this stuff and he's got to try and essentially buy his soul back from the devil i mean it was good it was enjoyable but two things that struck me as odd and hilarious at the same time at, near the end, all the people that own the talisman before get together to try and defeat the devil. And so they go through like a brief history of everyone that had it. So it goes from like a surgeon, a musketeer, a painter, a chef, all this stuff. But one of the guys is a juggler. <laughs> a juggler. Why not? Why not? And I just, I find it hilarious that juggling used to be a viable career option. <laughs> The funny thing, uh, so he gets the talisman. He comes like becomes the greatest juggler ever, just huge, playing juggling for kings, everyone. And the way that he ends up dying is he's doing a performance for the king and queen, and he's juggling eggs. And for whatever reason, he just starts throwing the eggs at the king and queen, so they behead him. Mm. I'm like, what, what the hell's wrong with you? Why would you do that? Maybe something possessed him. Maybe the talisman possessed him. Maybe. But I thought that was odd. And then there's also another character who, his name is Angel. Subtle. Uh, he looks out for the guy that bought the talisman. And he gives, him, he gives him an idea. He's like, okay, this is what you do. You go to this hotel and talk to this guy. Because he has a system on how to beat the roulette table. And you can win a shit ton of money. And you can buy back your soul. So, that's the Angel's plan. So the guy goes and does it. He's won a shit ton of money at the roulette table. The only thing that happens is the devil just walks in, and of course it all turns to bad luck, and he loses all of his money. It's like, really? Really, Angel? That was your plan? That's the only thing you could come up with? <laughs> and the devil defeats him by just walking into the room? Just I might have to look, I might have to look this up. It's actually, it's, it, you can watch it on Hulu. It's one of the, the Criterion movies. Okay. But it's called uh, Le Main du Diable. Something like that. Okay. I'll have to check that out. It's the French title. It was pretty good. It was an enjoyable, you know, old black and white French movie. It was like a long form Twilight Zone type deal. Uh, I like that. I like the sound of that. All right. Well, let's go ahead and talk about a more. This is the new michael haneke film we both got a chance to see this uh now if you listen to any of our previous shows we talked about haneke a lot in the past he's the director that did movies like the white ribbon and funny games and then the funny games remake those are probably his most known films uh and we actually did a round table with our contributor todd where we kind of went over all of his movies and talked about things we liked, things we didn't like uh, he's a very interesting director, and I would say that th- his new movie, Amor, is the most accessible. I, w- I would say it's probably his most accessible film. 
Yeah. It's uh it's rated PG thirteen, uh, which kind of tells you right there that it's not gonna be as horribly graphic as most of his other films. And it definitely plays out pretty straightforward. Uh, whereas a lot of his other stuff is, um, there's a lot of innuendo and things in his other films. Whereas I feel like this one plays it pretty straight. Yeah. A Uh, a little bit of symbolism, but yeah, but not, not a lot. It's not like, yeah, not as, it's not as ambiguous as yes. A lot of his other films. Like you, you know what's going on in this movie. (laughs) And uh, I, uh, it was a fantastic film. I mean, this is definitely one of the best movies of the year. I think that it's probably going to win a shitload of awards. Yeah. And I think it, it, it deserves it. Now, on a personal level, I found it to be way too <laughs> depressing to put it on my like personal top 10. Because it's not a movie. I could never watch this again. I just couldn't do it. But yeah, I probably wouldn't watch it again either. Mostly just, just because Haneke bores the shit out of me. You're right. It is in t- kind of typical Haneke fashion. It is extremely drawn out and boring. Um, a great story. And two of easily the best performances of the year. You know, the old couple. I mean, they deserve to win every award that's out there for this film and their performances. But uh, Haneke, move your fucking camera. <laughs> you know, it's it's so funny that you mentioned that. Is when we were just a second ago, we were talking about it being boring. I was going to say it's probably due to the lack of camera movement. The, I mean, yeah, the this, this story is great and everything, but <laughs> there's like he has. To me, it's like he has no creativity or no, like, artistic touch. There's, like, nothing. There's nothing going on artistically in the cinematography department. I mean, if you're going to keep a static camera, which I'm fine with, that's okay. But at least get creative with your framing. Well, yeah, see, that's that's the thing. Like, if you see a movie like any of the kind of art house Greek films that are coming out like dog tooth, they do a lot of that too, where they just, the camera is just a static camera shot. It's just sitting there. It's like a wide shot or whatever it is. It's just sitting there. But the way that they frame it makes it very visually pleasing so that I can actually sit there and watch an entire scene where there's no cuts and the camera doesn't move and it lasts like five or ten minutes and I'm still interested. I'm still drawn in. Yeah. But with Haneke, especially in this movie and well, a lot of his other movies too, the the lack of color and just how drab everything is, uh, really, it makes you feel like um, like you're just like, okay, let's go. Let's go. Yeah. Let's move it along a little bit here. Yeah. Like I always say about Haneke, I get it. Yeah. Speed it up. But it, the other thing that I thought, even though, like I said, great story, but just a touch too predictable. Like I essentially, like as soon as the movie started, I knew what happened in the film 
and I was just waiting for it to happen. I I knew it was going to go one of two ways, and it went the the way that I thought it was going to go. But, I mean, I don't know if it was necessarily supposed to be a big surprise or anything like that. Like, I don't know. I think it's more about the journey and, you know, the how how the, your body gives out on you and how what happens, you know, during this process. But, oh, my God, was it depressing. Yeah, yeah it was definitely depressing. <laughs> I couldn't, I, like, it was just such a downer, such a downer. But uh, Todd reviewed it on the site, and he gave it a 10 out of 10, of course. Yeah, I wouldn't have done that. This is, to me, this is not a masterpiece. I, I think, I think that it that it is uh, i think it is acting wise but that's it i think that it's a pretty great film and i think most people should try to see it but i mean i would I, again <laughs> i think i give it a i gave it a nine i think it's yeah. just it's missing a bit of something again like i said i would not put this on my top 10 of the year i think there are a lot of films that are better than this and just bring more to the table i guess i don't know but but i do have to say that one of the things that me, me and you both uh one of the complaints that we had about haneke is that his characters always for the most part act in an unrealistic way right yeah exactly and that this is the complete opposite right that wasn't the case with this one they were they were very much Humanized, I guess. Yeah, everything was pretty much emotionally accurate. So, a more if you want to see a slow burn, extremely depressing film about love and being old, check it out. Just, uh, I would suggest maybe doing something fun afterwards. Get a uh, Studio Ghibli lined up for afterwards. Yeah. Just do, do or just to have a framed picture of Totoro, yeah, like on your nightstand that you can just look over, just and look just, at it, yeah, just gaze into his eyes for a little bit, yeah, just there you, go. you know, divert your attention for like a minute or so. I think you'll be all right. Yeah, uh, I saw another really depressing movie this week, and this is the only other movie I saw uh, because I've been traveling. I've been in New York City for the last five days. Uh, but it's called Paradise Love, and this is a part of a trilogy of films by uh, director Ulrich Seidel. Is that how you say it? Ulrich Seidel or Ulrich Seidel? Uh, this is a Austrian film about a 50-year-old woman who goes to Kenya in order to have sex with gentlemen in Kenya. <laughs> Uh, and it kind of just explores this whole sex tourist thing, uh, sex tourism, but it does it from a female perspective, which is interesting. Uh, and this is a really uncomfortable and awkward film to try to get through. Uh, it's, I think in my Letterboxd review, I said it's, it's almost on the level of gummo as far as how uncomfortable you feel while watching it. Um, there's, there is humor in it. There is a lot of dramatic elements, but one of the interesting things about it is it, for a second, I 
completely forgot that I wasn't watching a documentary. Everything feels very, very real in this movie. Like, it doesn't seem like people are acting. (laughs) And that's what kind... It was that realism that really kind of pushed this over the edge as far as being shocked at what you're seeing. And it's not, like, really intense, but this is on John Waters' top ten films of 2012 if that gives you an idea of what goes on in this film <laughs> I, lo- I love the fact that you can just say that it's on John Waters list and that automatically comes with a sense of yeah, like understanding like oh okay so it's that kind of film gotcha. and I think it's number three on his list too Yeah, so <laughs> it's like number three or four so that's even uh, but I, I am interested to see the other two films. It's uh, Paradise, Love, Faith, and I can't remember the third one. I think the third one's Hope. Hope. Yes. So I I don't know if they're connected in any way. I don't think they are. I don't think they are either. But I am going to check out the other, the, the other one. I think Faith is the next one. So I'm going to try to see that when it comes out. I don't know if I can recommend it or not. It's it's a tough one to watch, but it's interesting. It looks great. The cinematography is awesome. It definitely has that European style to it that we love. Um, but it was it was okay. I guess I'm still kind of sitting with it. Um, I also watched the first half of the new Donnie Yen movie, Dragon. Yeah. Uh, I don't. I can't remember. It's called Wu something in Chinese, but over here in America, it's called Dragon. <laughs> we like to keep it simple. Yeah, yeah. Uh, it's really, really good from what I've seen so far. So I'll, I'll talk about it more after I've seen the whole thing. I'll report back next week. But so far, it is awesome. It's it plays out like. It's a martial arts film, but it's it plays out like a mystery where there's this like CSI guy who's trying to investigate these murders that took place in this village, and they use these like you know old techniques because it takes place you know way back. Uh, it, but it's awesome. The way that it's filmed is very very cool. It almost plays out like Boondock Saints. You know, when Willem Dafoe would go into the crime scene and kind of visualize it in his head about what, like, what was happening, mm-hmm. it was, they did it kind of like that, only better. Hmm. So, so far, it's a definite recommend, but I got to get the rest of the way through it. So, Gotcha. And that's all I got. So, let's go ahead... We're going to skip over our Amazon Blu-ray deals because I just didn't have enough time to research them this week. We're going to just jump right into talking about the Independent Spirit Awards. Uh, This is one of the few award shows that I actually pay attention to and that I really enjoy. I don't really enjoy the Oscars other than I like to wager, (laughs) wager and predict them. Yeah, that's the only reason either of us are interested in the Oscars. The Independent Spirit Awards, though, I like a lot just because it's, it, it, I mean, it's really promoting independent film. And, you know, that's something that we at Film Pulse like to focus on is independent film. So 
I guess we'll just go over some of the big nominations, maybe predict who we think will win or who we want to win. I don't think we need to go over everything. Maybe we'll just highlight some. Uh, the big nominees, I believe, are Beasts of the Southern Wild, Moonrise Kingdom, and I think Silver Linings Playbook got nominated for quite a few. Yeah. 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 They, Good they got nominated for a lot, too. Because those are the big three. And it, But I almost feel like maybe Moonrise Kingdom and Silver Linings Playbook shouldn't be necessarily in the running for that, but... Yeah, they, they always... They always sort of have those ones that are on the, uh, you know, toe the line. Yeah, I mean, I I understand that they got to bring in some bigger titles to try to drive audiences and stuff. But uh, I guess we'll start with the big, the big category, which is best feature, and we have Beasts of the Southern Wild, Bernie, Done. Keep the Lights On. Oh, we're gonna go. Okay. I was just saying it's done after Beasts of the Southern Wild. Like, as yeah. soon as you say that, over. <laughs> well, I don't know. I mean, we'll, we'll see how it turns out. But I haven't seen Silver Linings Playbook yet. I've been hearing amazing things. I'm really excited to see it. I just haven't had the chance yet. And Moonrise Kingdom, I think, has a really good shot, too. But I think Beasts of the Southern Wild has to take it. it I think it just has to. Now... Do you think uh, Best Director? Because Ben Zeitlin, who directed Beasts of the Southern Wild, he got nominated for Best Director. Do you think he'll win that? <clears throat> this is a, a first-time director, and he's uh, going up against Wes Anderson, David O. Russell. Iris Sachs. Julia Elective. I don't know. I think, it, uh, I think I would probably go to David O. Russell. I think I would also go to David O. Russell with that because, I mean, with with Ben Zeitland, I, I don't know. To me, with he, with the beast so of this beast of the Southern Wild, him being new, being a first feature, but also just from reading interviews and reading the information about the film, and even when watching the film, you could tell that this wasn't. To me, it, it's not doesn't come across as the work of a director it came across as like a work of like an artistic community. Yeah. I think before it wasn't you, just one guy. I think unless it's something that is like right out of the gate considered like a classic or something, you know, I think that you should hold off on giving awards to first time directors. I don't know why I feel that way, but, but then again, at the same time, if they gave it to him, I wouldn't be, disappointed or anything uh no i wouldn't either i think that if it, whatever his next movie is if it's just as good or even almost just as good then then i'll be pushing for him to win one yeah um then we have best first feature uh these include movies so well, the, well, well, let's go back to the best feature here or do you want okay. to do that at the end Let's go through the small ones and then we'll do the best feature at the end. Okay. Yeah. Okay. So best first feature. Best first feature. We have fill the void. Give me the loot. Safety not guaranteed. Sound of my voice. Perks of being a wallflower. Now I haven't seen perks. Uh, in fact, I've only seen two of these. So I saw the sound of my voice and safety not guaranteed. Um, 
hopefully we supposedly the screeners are going out soon for that so hopefully we'll be able to see more of these that are nominated that we haven't had a chance to see um but as of now i'm saying safety not guaranteed that's my prediction Hmm. now the one that i'm extremely interested in is give me the loot i've heard really good things so I i don't know because this did win the South by Southwest Grand Jury Best Narrative. Mm. It looks very promising. So, I, I'm not sure right now. I'll have to I see mean, it. To me, I, yeah, I definitely want to see this one. Because I have a feeling that that could be it for me. That could be the pick. I mean, fill the void. I don't even... Because I'm not even going to talk about Perks of Being a Wallflower. That looks terrible. I don't know. I mean, it might be... It got a lot of good buzz. Um, I think Todd saw it and liked it a whole lot, so... I don't know. For some reason, that movie bothers me because it's the same guy, you know, that that does everything, and that, that bothers me when that... It's like this guy's milking this story for all it's worth. <laughs> it's, it's all he's got. Because, see, that book came out, like, ten years ago. Yeah. And then he was like, no one's going to make it into a movie? Well, I guess I'll do it myself. <laughs> yeah. I don't know. We'll see how that goes. One of the more interesting categories is the John Cassavetes Award. And this is given to the best feature that is made for under $500,000. Yes. Now, I love with- this. With these, I haven't seen any of these. I know. So I'm very curious. I couldn't even give a prediction at this point, but I imagine we'll be coming back to the results Uh, when they come out. I know one that I've wanted to see for a while now is the color wheel. Yeah, I believe that um, that's either out on DVD now or it's coming out very soon. Better be. So I know that we'll probably be seeing that before voting, but um, I heard good things about Starlet as well. Yeah, I heard. Did I hear? I don't even. Yeah, I think I. I remember what the cover of that looks like, but I don't remember reading anything. <laughs> uh, do you want to talk about any actors? I'm not really. I mean, I, I guess. <laughs> The big one, Matthew McConaughey, he's nominated for Best Male Lead and Best Supporting Male. Um, for Best Male Lead, it's for Killer Joe. Supporting Male, uh, it's Magic Mike. I think, I really hope McConaughey gets at least Supporting Male this year. See, I would have to go with Sam Rockwell for Supporting. Yeah, but I mean, I'm just saying that I hope McConaughey wins something because i think he really deserves it this year i think that he was in multiple movies all of which were good and i just feel like this is his year he he deserves some recognition for that uh but yeah sam rockwell in seven psychopaths was outstanding so i'll probably go with him for supporting male now the odd thing for me is best male lead I'm looking at, okay, we got Jack Black for Bernie, Bradley Cooper, Silver Lines Playbook, John Hawks for The Sessions, 
uh, Thorin Lindhard for Keep the Lights On, Matthew McConaughey, and Wendell Pierce for four. Four. I didn't even hear about that movie. Yeah. But to me, I, I'm leaning Jack Black. Well, I don't know. I mean, if that was... I would say that that role for him could be like a defining role. I mean, that was the best thing I've ever seen him in. So yeah, easily. But I don't know. Like, is the best role that Jack Black has ever been in worth an award for Jack Black? I don't know. I don't know. Definitely, definitely going to be stewing over that one. I don't know. Uh. What what do you want to talk about next? Do you, documentary. Uh, I I gotta see more of these. I got some work to do. Yes, the the documentaries. How to How to Survive a Plague. This is the one uh, about the AIDS epidemic. If I'm correct. Yeah, because that's uh, supposed to be really good. Yeah, I'm really interested in seeing that. Uh, the artist is present, which I did see, which is excellent. Central Park. That. The Central Park Five, which I almost saw in New York this weekend, but I didn't get a chance to see that. Um, that looks quite good. The Invisible War, which I did see, which is um, the Kirby Dick film about sexual abuse in the military. Very powerful film. And The Waiting Room, which uh, I haven't seen this, but I know all about it. Mm. It's uh, about a they have a camera crew that just goes into an emergency room waiting room and interviews the people that are waiting to, to get seen in the ER. <laughs> yeah. They all, they all sound amazing. Yes. Yes, they do. And the, the two that I've seen are amazing. Uh, I don't know. Why is the imposter not on there? Uh, I don't know. I mean, that's an independent film, I would say, right? Yeah, I'm sure they have their little bylaws, you know, had to play probably in Los Angeles and run for a number of something. Who knows? I don't know. I just, I feel like the imposter should be in there, but, oh, well, I mean, it's still a good list. A lot of great documentaries that came out this year. I'm thinking, actually, like, <coughs> of maybe having a separate top 10 list for documentaries or something like that. I, I was thinking the same thing because it's so hard when I'm making my top 10 list. It's so rare that a documentary gets on the list, but I feel like, I mean, some of these documentaries are just mind blowing. Yeah. Documentaries are definitely a lot better than what they used to be. Oh yeah. I mean, they're, they're just amazing. Um, then we have, Best international film, of course, a more Once Upon a Time in Anatolia, Sister, War Witch. Uh, Rust and Bone. Oh, yeah, and Rust and Bone, sorry. I've heard really good things about War Witch. That's something that I really want to see. Uh, same here. Yeah, I really want to see that. I- I'd like to see all of these, actually. Yeah, yeah. Because Sister's supposed to be not too bad. I mean, it, it wasn't getting the buzzes the other four were getting. So I uh, think that's the dark horse. I think that Amor's going to win, but I would like to see Rust and Bone win, actually, just going off of the ones that I've seen. I would, I would be happy with Rust and Bone or Once Upon a Time in Anatolia. 
Now, did you see Once Upon a Time in Anatolia? Yes. You see that, right? Yes. It was, it was good. And Haneke, watch that movie, and you, maybe you can learn about cinematography. Oh, one, one other quick thing I wanted to go back to more. If you uh, want to see something interesting, the Hollywood Reporter Roundtable series is out. They always put that out near awards season. And the writers section has Michael Haneke, Judd Apatow. Um, <laughs> oh, man, uh, you can stop there. That yeah. sounds amazing. It's very odd. Let me just say, it's very odd. Um, John Krasinski is in there. <laughs> and the guy who wrote Zero Dark Thirty. And I believe the guy who wrote <sighs> Life of Pi. Oh my goodness. That is an odd collection. It, it's an extremely odd collection. But the Haneke stuff is really weird because he basically berates uh, Spielberg for making Schindler's List and saying that it's like completely inappropriate to make a film about that and all this stuff. And meanwhile... The, the reason that they got on it is because they were talking to the guy who wrote Zero Dark Thirty about making a movie about Bin Laden and all this stuff. And it was just really weird, very uncomfortable. John Krasinski had no idea what was going on, I don't think. <laughs> I have to watch this now. Now, Haneke normally doesn't speak English in any... No, he, like didn't. His, he didn't do it. <laughs> no, he didn't speak English. <laughs> He had an interpreter there, which has uh, made it everything even more odd. That sounds like there. the greatest thing ever. Yeah, it's... it's oh, I can't dir- wait to watch that. The director one is really good. That one's really interesting, but the writer one is... That is like the great. <laughs> oh, God. And I wonder like, if Haneke knew who those people were. I don't know. He was sitting right across from Judd Apatow, which I thought was... I see. I think, I, I think they did that on purpose. Like, if I was, you know, someone that was organizing that, that's something I would do. But I, I, I but Like, if we get Haneke, I want Judd Apatow, someone, and then we're going to sit them right across from each other. I don't know why they got Judd Apatow, because it's supposed to be, like, the the people that are Oscar contenders. You know, like, you on the director, when you have, like, Ben Affleck for Argo, Quentin Quentin Tarantino for Django, like the huge directors, David O. Russell, Ang Lee, yeah. and then you have John Krasinski and Judd Apatow. <laughs> when what? Like Krasinski's written like one movie. He wrote one movie. He wrote that new, that new um, Ben uh, Matt Damon movie. Yeah, that's it. <laughs> <laughs> so why is he there? I don't know. <laughs> I mean, I like the guy. Oh, no, he did do brief interviews with Hideous Men, which he also directed. He wrote oh, this. he wrote that? Did he write? Yeah. I yeah, well, it's, I mean, yeah. he adapted it. Right, right. Well, I mean, that was, I thought that was okay, but anyway. That's what I'm saying. It sounds like <laughs> someone did that on purpose. It was. Just to entertain themselves. <laughs> yeah, it was very weird. Um, sticking with the documentary uh category i want to talk about the stella artois truer than fiction award 
Uh, the nominees for this are Leviathan, The Waiting Room, and Only the Young. Now, first of all, I don't think The Waiting Room should be eligible since it's already nominated for Best Documentary. And it's nice because, you know, they, it's the 18th Annual Award, and it says here it's presented to an emerging director of nonfiction features who has not yet received significant recognition. Right. So exactly. you're essentially saying that your own nomination for Best Documentary is not significant. What, what I'm wondering, <laughs> what I'm wondering is if it wins. If it, yeah, if it wins the documentary wins, section, is it automatically is it, taken out? <laughs> That's what I'm wondering. But um, I don't know too much about Only the Young. But Le- Leviathan sounds really interesting. I, I want to see this because I don't know if you heard about this, but all it is is yes. they take a, a bunch of those GoPro cameras and strap them on fishermen when they go out and uh, work out in the ocean. Yes. This, and it's, it sounds really interesting. And the other thing is the the crew, the film crew, has to do the job of the right. fishermen. Right. So they have to suck it up and do it too. And now this is made by like a director team, a tandem, but they're not even like film directors. They uh, Their previous effort was uh, Sweetgrass which was about like herding sheep in Montana, I think. Mm-hmm. Um, I think this, the, the guy is like an anthropologist professor. And I remember reading that a lot of people are like pissed off at his movies because they're not your typical documentary. They're essentially what you said, just camera strapped on and just documenting, which technically it's a documentary, but a lot of people are getting pissed off at him because there's like nothing to it. Right. Yeah. But, but I think uh, I think this Leviathan sounds very interesting. I'm I'm very curious to see this movie. Yes, I'm I'm very interested as well. Uh, okay. Were there any other categories you wanted to talk about? I would just like to see a lot of these movies. That'd be cool. Well, we should be. So we should be seeing almost all of them before. Before the voting starts. Yeah. So we got a lot of work ahead of us. <laughs> yes. I mean, I I think that I saw a lot of them. I mean, I'm kind of looking over, like, the general list. And there there were quite a few that I have seen. So I don't think I have that much work ahead of me. The main, the, the main thing for me is I hope to see Silver Lion's playbook. For the love of God. Let yeah. me see that damn movie. I also noticed that uh, Mary Elizabeth Winstead got nominated for Smashed. Yeah, I want to see that as well. Yeah. Yeah, I think, uh, and props to Ann Dowd for getting nominated for Compliance. I was hoping that she'd get recognition for that. I'm actually right now leaning towards her. Um, well, I haven't seen the sessions yet, so I don't know. And then we have Britt Marling. She did a great job but not, not as good as Ann Dowd um, Rosemary DeWitt she was fine but it wasn't anything mind blowing in your sister's sister and I haven't seen Middle of Nowhere so I don't know how yeah. Lorraine Toussaint did Yeah, I don't really want to see the sessions we have a review for it up on the site Todd checked it out um, I 
don't really care to see it either. But to me, I, it looks like Oscar bait to me. Oh yeah, oh yeah. I mean, I think it's an inevitability because not only is it nominated for awards for here, but also I would be very surprised if it didn't get nominated for some Oscars. So yeah, I will inevitably be seeing this movie. <laughs> yeah, but reluctantly. Yeah. All right. Well, um, anything else you want to add before we kind of wrap wrap it up? Well, let's wrap it up with the best feature. Best feature. Best feature. I think we both know where we're both leaning here. Yeah. Um, I think the only thing that we need to see is Silver Lines playbook. Yeah. To know if that decision is going to change. So we have Beast of the Southern Wild, Bernie, Keep the Lights On, Moonrise Kingdom, and Silver Linings Playbook. Um, I would, I'm going Beast of the Southern Wild, of course, but I hear Silver Linings is great, but I just can't see it. I just can't see it being better than Beast of the Southern Wild. Yeah. I mean, I do have to say I was surprised with Bernie. I, I, I mean, thought Bernie goodness. was great. I loved it. I loved Bernie, and I loved moonrise kingdom but um pieces of southern wild just blew me away i just loved it so much now i am interested in keep the lights on now by iris yeah. x yeah i didn't really hear too much about this film no no neither did i neither did i so that's the other thing i like about the independent spirit awards is it always exposes me to at least a few films that i haven't heard of oh yeah yeah that is the best thing about it Especially that Cassavetes award. That's yeah, that's my favorite award that they have. So like the main reason I love the Independent Spirit Awards, because Cassavetes is one of my favorite directors of all time. So I'm, if you you know what I mean, if you're gonna try and say that you're an independent film, you know, like society or award show or whatever the hell, you gotta have something with Cassavetes. Right. Well, I think that does it. Check back after the awards. I think, when are they on? February 23rd? Yeah. I want to say February 23rd, yeah. Yep. Uh, The awards are going to be on televised on IFC, if you have that channel. I'm sure that there will be ways to stream it online as well. So we'll probably have the winners on the site, and then we'll probably talk about it. I would imagine on the show as well. No, afterwards. Yeah. So, all right, let's move on and talk about our predictions. Not a whole lot came out this week, hence the uh, <laughs> award show talk. We have Hyde Park on Hudson. You gave that a sixty-eight. I said sixty-two. Actual forty percent. Mm, yeah, I was, I was thinking. I was thinking it was going to be a lot lower than what we said. Yeah, I mean that's a shame. And I want to see more Bill Murray and. That just didn't appeal to me. No. And we have Playing for Keeps. This is the new rom-com. You said 30. I said 42. Actual two. (laughs) Makes me so happy. Yes, me. Me too. And then we have The Fitzgerald Family Christmas. You said 58. I said 60. Actual 63 on The Fitzgerald Mm. Family Christmas. I mean, those, those... like I said last week, those Ed Burns movies are usually pretty decent. You know, they're kind of all the same, really. Yeah, plus it's I also... Like, I also like the, the white person version of Tyler Perry. 
And it's also like, I I feel as though Christmas movies get rated a bit differently than just a normal film. Well, yeah, you know, it's interesting you mentioned that because I just did a top Christmas movie list on Letterboxd and I was thinking about it and I was like, well, you know, some of these movies I'm going to put higher than I would if I was making a general list. Do you know what I mean? Like, uh, do I like, I can't, can't think of an example, like Gremlins. I put Gremlins and Die Hard on the list and I might like Gremlins more than I like a Charlie Brown Christmas as a movie, but on a Christmas, as far as classic Christmas and my favorite Christmas movies, you know, one's going to be above the other. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, I think you're right. They they do generally rate a little bit differently. Yeah, Ernest, I think it- Ernest Saves Christmas. I don't know about that one. <laughs> <sighs> Well, uh, they're gonna reboot that soon, aren't they? Uh, I, I don't know. <laughs> Ernest is getting rebooted, but I don't know if it's gonna be. Oh, it's, gonna be it's they'll get around to a Christmas one. Don't you worry. Well, we could only hope. <laughs> <laughs> Next week, I believe all we have is The Hobbit, right? That's that's the big one. Yeah, I think that's so. The big one on Friday. Now, um, I think. I mean, I don't really... Yay, I guess. Yeah, I mean, I don't really have an opinion on this. But I'm guessing it's going to be good. So I'm going to say, like, 86? I'm going to go... 84. Yeah, I just... I don't know. Have have you decided if you're going to go see this yet? Uh, I don't know. I don't know. I feel as though I should. Yeah, I, I would love to go see it at, in uh, 48 frames, but I don't think it's going to be playing anywhere. Yeah. I mean, if if I had the, the ability to do that, no question. I would go out and see it. Yeah. Sucker for gimmicks. Um, as a side note, they had the U.S. premiere of The Hobbit while it was in New York this week. And I was like, I saw it listed, and I was like, oh, that'd be awesome. I'm going to go. And I looked it up. Tickets were $500. <laughs> it's like, nope. So why didn't you go? I don't understand. I know. It seems like a no-brainer, but, man, I'm kicking myself now. <laughs> Come on. What do you I'm need sure $500 for? I, I think it was, like, a big thing. And, like, um, part of the ticket sales went to... Um, some kind of charity or nonprofit or something. It was through AFI. Mm, okay. But anyway, that's the big one for next week. Let's move on and do some DVD and Blu-ray releases. This is for Tuesday, December 11th, 2012. Got a pretty big week coming out here. We got Ted. Um, now, this one I'm interested in because I think the unrated version has like a ton of stuff in it. So, I'm interested in that. So, it's probably like 40% more dick jokes? Maybe. I don't know. Probably. 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 Or there's, and there's probably like another musical number. <laughs> it could be. That's the number one thing I hate about Seth MacFarlane. 
goddamn musical um, numbers. I, think it's, I don't know. I think some of them work. I think those are kind of hit or miss. But overall, I really enjoyed Ted. Yes. I thought it was very, very funny. Yes, I'm so, excited to watch it again. Yeah, I'm, I'm pretty excited to watch it again, too. While I'm here in Pennsylvania, my dad hasn't seen it yet, so I'm going to get it and show him. There you uh, go. We also have The Born Legacy. This is a movie I will not be showing to my dad <laughs> because it's not very good. Ah. Uh. Uh, if you're a fan of the Bourne series, you might want to check it out. But I can tell you right now, it's it doesn't hold a candle to any of the other ones. So, mm. uh, and then we have Ice Age Continental Drift. I don't know. I don't even know what number this is in the Ice Age series. Six, <laughs> five, twenty-four. Four? If you include all like the short films and straight to DVD releases and all that crap, I think it's like know. thirty-seven. Then <laughs> I don't even know. But I'm gonna say that one's probably not worth renting unless you have little kids uh, and we have Mansum which is the new documentary by Morgan Spurlock this is about male grooming the only reason that I would want to see this is because Jason Bateman and Will Arnett are I think producers on the film and they're in it quite a bit yeah now this side note this is play instant on Netflix right now you can oh there you go it. so you can check that out I have no interest in it at all no, no, no. like it just doesn't seem like i just don't care about that and then we have why stop now this is the jesse eisenberg melissa leo tracy morgan film that is not good <laughs> and i would skip that it's not funny it's very annoying i <laughs> uh, don't recommend that dreams of a life this is the documentary that we talked about a long time ago, actually, on this, yes. on this podcast. Um, I would recommend renting this or maybe getting it on demand. It's not, I mean, it's not a movie that I would rewatch. It is kind of long, unnecessarily long, but it's still a very interesting story. Mm-mm. So I'd say maybe yeah, check it out. Definitely check it out. And then we have Miami Connection. Oh. This is the film I just talked about was a couple weeks ago. Uh, Draft House Films put this out. Got you got to get this movie, and and they're putting it out on VHS. Yes, as well. Yes, special edition VHS version of this. <laughs> yeah. So check that out. It's. It's just so amazing. I want to watch it right now. <laughs> Did you have any um, DVD? Are there any DVD releases you want to add? We had two. We have two Criterion Blu-rays. The first one being the Quatsi trilogy. If you remember these, uh, these little films. I shouldn't say little, actually. These ginormous films from like the 80s well i guess the last one was 2002 i thought that one was in the 90s but uh the koyan kotsi pawakotsi you know all those Mm -hmm. so i mean i'm not a huge fan of these films they're interesting enough but i have to say them being on criterion and on blu-ray i have to imagine they look unbelievable so yeah. I might be checking those out again. But the other one that I'm very excited about is following Christopher Nolan's first film. 
is out on Blu-ray Criterion. I remember watching this for the first time in my house. You got a copy of it. Yes, and it was unbelievable. I remember you brought it over because I believe we saw that after Memento, right? We we both saw Memento. Yes, and loved it so much. We were like, "Oh man, we got to see if this guy made anything else." And and then you found Following and brought it over, and we were both like, "What?" (laughs) Yes, this movie is fantastic. It's so great. I think to me, it's better than Insomnia or Insomnia. I'm sorry, that was Memento. I almost like this film more. I don't know why. We did do Insomnia. Yeah, yeah. I, I didn't. Think it was better, I think it was better than Insomnia. <laughs> yeah, it was definitely better than Insomnia. <laughs> Memento, I don't agree with you, but uh, Insomnia, yeah. No, no. If I was talking strictly film, yes, Memento is the better film. But for me personally, I think I might like following more. But this has, you know, digital transfer, all that good stuff. The Criterion gives you audio commentary by Nolan, a new interview with Christopher Nolan. Um, has like a chronological edit of the film. Mm, very uh, interesting. And it also has a one of uh, his very early short films called Doodlebug. Hmm. And it also has, you know, they always throw in like an essay by a film critic. Yeah. yeah. Cool. So definitely check that one out. Definitely check that out. If you haven't seen it, it's Christopher Nolan's debut feature, and it's pretty good. Damn good. Well, I think that does it. For all latest film news and reviews, visit us at filmpulse.net. And we want to hear your feedback. Send us an email at feedbackfilmpulse.net or call our voicemail line at 850-391-6071. Also, please take a minute to rate us on iTunes. We appreciate that very much. For filmpulse.net, my name is Adam. And I'm Kevin. And we will see you on Wednesday for Ryan Watches a Movie. When we have him watch The Hobbit. Hold on, dog's barking. Alright. Alright, nope. Can you hear the dog barking? I'm sure you can. Of course.